Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more information on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. I am uh, still catching my breath from preaching 40-something verses on Sunday. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) No, it's a great passage. I love the whole thing about the passage. And so I want to start in the podcast today, Pastor Alex, with the, the uh, the most asked question I've had this week. And this rarely happens, so it needs to be on the podcast. Yeah. So I got multiple texts, a couple of emails, and uh, you know, one Larry Elliott pulled both of us aside at different points and said, what do you think about this? And so here we go. Here's the question. How do the disciples know that it's Moses and Elijah? So I want to point out why this question gets asked. Because first of all, Peter says, should we build three tents for you, Moses, and Elijah? So that's a big part of the discussion that people are going, wait, 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 how did he know? Okay, so let me, some of this is speculative. But let's let's give some context. We're talking about the transfiguration here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like, you know, Revelation 11, for example. Oh, exactly. It could also be Moses and what Elijah. If, it could be Moses and Elijah. It could be Enoch and Zechariah. It could be some combination uh, of the four of those. Uh, that's who, probably Moses and Elijah. I think it's Moses and Elijah too. But So here we go. Uh, the transfiguration, Jesus appears in his full form in front of Peter, James, and John. And then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah are there and they're doing their thing. And, and Peter, like I said, says, let me build tents for the three of us. Great, great idea, Peter. Just yeah, solid, solid. Just know what's going on. And the, so the question that gets asked to me often with this passage is how do they know that it's Moses and Elijah? So all of that I'm about to say is speculative. So, We aren't entirely sure, but let me just lay out some ideas for you and for the listener that might be helpful for us to go, oh, that makes total sense. So one is, first of all, this account is written 30 years after this event happens, most likely, you know, 20 to 30 years after the event is is done. So there's a lot of time there for... Jesus to have explained who was on the mountain. That That's the first thing. And I've read some commentaries that suggest that. The problem that certain individuals have in the conversation I had with these people was, well, no, he mentions them by name on the mountain. I, I totally agree with you, but these scholars would say, perhaps Peter is just making sure that you know who they are, and they use that as a narrative piece of information just to describe to you that this isn't just two random strangers on the mountain. But they, so one one frame here is that it's possible they didn't actually know who they were until later, but made sure that the reader knows exactly who they are. And that doesn't take away from the story. That doesn't make it less than what it is. You know, it, it just sort of makes it this this moment. He could have said, can we make a tent for you three? And later on was like, I need to make sure that they know it's Moses and Elijah. So then they put that in the text. Yeah, it'd be like stylistically saying like, you know, and appeared next to Jesus, who we later found out to be Moses and Elijah. Could you believe it? But it's just easier to say yep. Moses and Elijah. So some scholars have gone that direction. I, I'm I, I'm comfortable with that as a possibility, but but I have some better options for you as to what you might do here. So the second option would be 
we don't know how long this conversation goes, right? Right, right. All we have is that they appear, and then God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him, and then poof, it's all over. That conversation could have gone on for an hour or more. It's very possible that Jesus is actually referring to them by name. You know, he might say multiple times, yeah, Moses, that's a really good point. And the guy's like, oh, my gosh, it's Moses. You know, yeah. and they would say, oh, my gosh, there's no other way they would say that, you know, because they would not use the Lord's name in vain right in front of the Lord. Like, that's just not possible. <laughs> so I can imagine Peter, James, and John whispering there, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe we're a part of this. That is Moses. And then a little bit later, you know, Jesus says Eli or Elijah, and they're like, oh, that is, it really is who it is. And so that's another possibility that this conversation goes on long enough that Jesus actually interacts with the individuals and they know that's who they are. Right, because, uh, you know, I think Luke, Luke's account leaves that open because it says, you know, verse 32, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but they came fully awake when they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from each other, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents. Like, they could have... Like, I doubt these guys show up and, like, 10 seconds later, Peter's right. like, hey, let me run up that hill to this crazy thing that's happened and and interrupt this conversation. Right. Because, it, you know, Luke tells us what were they talking about. Uh, they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. Like, I got to imagine the disciples are like, what are they talking about? Like, I want to listen in. Yes. I want to hear because this sounds like a really interesting conversation. Totally. Which comes back to what I was saying a second ago, too, is that, or in the sermon at least, when I'm describing that they think they're going to battle, it's very possible they're talking about Jesus' departure in such a way that the guys think, this is the end, here comes the battle, this is it. And they have no idea what battle's actually being talked about. Right, because these guys, the disciples have seen some pretty interesting stuff up to this point, but nothing, nothing like this, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, They've seen water into wine. They've seen miraculous healings, you know, people raised from the dead, which would be, you know, that would be pretty crazy, amazing. Mm-hmm. But then to see, like, a display of glory like this, I could, and, and Jesus has already been, you know, talking about his death, predicting all these things. Mm-hmm. They might just see this as like, hey, he just brought down two guys from heaven. Here we go. Like, we're, we've been waiting for the Moses. We've been waiting for the Elijah. Now Jesus is here. They're here. Let's make some tents. Let's mm-hmm. let's plan things out. Let's take Jerusalem and throw all the Romans out. Right. Right. I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think that's a big part of what's probably happening here. So if we're going to go with option one that I talked about, it's later on Jesus fills in the gaps for them. And Peter uses a literary device here to make sure that we know who the people are. Mm-hmm. The second option is the conversation goes for a long time and Jesus actually uses their names, which is totally plausible, not completely outside the realm of possibility. The third option, and this one's just as strong and just as likely, but again, we don't know any of these three. And, and really, these are the three strongest options. I'm not going to add any more to this because you, you just start getting into crazy town and there's no reason to do that. The Maybe they had name tags. <laughs> okay, there's a fourth option. We go. didn't. We need to think about that one as a possibility. The third option I would use is, and, and I think you and I would probably both agree on this one, but we haven't talked about this part of the of the podcast yet. The most likely candidates for people showing up to talk to God on a very high mountain are Moses and Elijah, because in the Old Testament, those are the individuals that do that. Mm-hmm. So when the rest of the people are at the base of Sinai and Moses goes up to where they can't see him anymore. That's a very high mountain. Moses receives the Ten Commandments. 
There is no other story like that in Scripture. So that alone, if, if a guy showed up and was talking to Jesus on top of the mountain and Jesus just showed himself to be God, you could make the inference that one of those is Moses. So you think they're just pulling, like, context clues together? Like, I, these guys know the Old Testament? So. Very possible. It's very possible. And maybe he has the tablets in his hand. <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, he, You know, he stands there and he's like... Do I look like Charlton Heston to you? And then they're like, that's exactly who I thought it was. Wait, wait, wait. So was it, was it Moses what he looked like when he died? Or was it like Egyptian? It could have been Egyptian Moses. That's true. He had maybe hairless Moses right after he killed a pharaoh, you know, a yeah. pharaoh's guy and, and ran away. Uh, so you've got Moses as, as a, a very likely option. And then the other major prophet who's on a high place and meets with God is Elijah. Mm-hmm. So context clues alone, those two, and by the way, both of them meet with God on the exact same mountain, which is Horeb. Now, before we run too far down that road, someone maybe start to ask, well, so wait, are they on Horeb? No, there's no way, because where Caesarea Philippi is, to get six days from there, Horeb is at least three weeks journey. It takes a while. Um, and Jesus has the, the, those disciples plus the other nine disciples plus whoever else is in this group following him around. I'm going to stick with Mount Hor- Mount Hermon instead of Mount Horeb as the place of this. And there's various reasons for it. You probably have to go to Israel with me to find out why those reasons exist. Um, but I, I think that's the most likely option. Mount Tabor, which is where the actual Church of the Transfiguration is built, is a tiny little hill in the middle of Galilee uh, that was totally occupied by a Roman uh, Roman. Uh, centurion and his his cohort during the time of jesus i don't think jesus took them up on top of a little tiny hill and then transfigured himself right in the middle of a roman fort just to say hey check this out you know i i think there's something much bigger happening which is why i'm going to go with Hermon, partly because it's right next to Caesarea philippi but that's a whole nother discussion altogether where is mount horeb mount horeb would well not not the town in wisconsin no there there are well it's mount sinai mount horeb you know horeb the mountain of the lord would be down right. Oh, Horus right. the same as Sinai. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I never put that together. Oh, yeah, it'd be way down by oh, the Red Sea. Yeah, yeah, that would be, yeah, way south of where they're at. And the place that we actually have a church built on top of Horeb or Mount Sinai probably isn't actually Sinai, but that's a whole other discussion. Oh, so Mount Musa is what they call it on in the the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, I'm going to say that it's probably a little further away from that. There's a really cool mountain not too far from there that's totally scorched on the type on mm-hmm. the top of it, and I like that as an option because if the if the glory of the Lord is up on top of the mountain, like <laughs> that's pretty, yeah, 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 that's pretty cool. Like I, I would totally be for that. Um, and you also have to remember too that Moses is on that same mountain when he meets with the Lord as he's herding sheep. So there's that's a little ways away from Midian, and that's where his father-in-law lives. So it's got to be probably a little further than what people think it is. Um, but that's a whole other discussion. So yeah. so Mount Horeb is way further south than what we could possibly get the disciples to within six days. And Mount Hermon is right at the at the top of Caesarea Philippi. So I think it's possible the disciples say things like that he took them up to a very, very high place and it, nobody at the, in the first century would have doubted where that was. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, now so far away, so far removed from it, we have questions, but... I'm almost positive it's Hermon because it would have taken that many days to hike to the top, but it's a whole other discussion. So option one, they, uh, you know, Jesus tells them later who the, who's on there, and they use a literary device to explain Moses and Elijah. Option two, Jesus actually responds to these guys over a long enough period of time that they know it's Moses and Elijah. Option three is context clues, you know, them being on a high place. The two prophets that meet God on a high place are those two 
they could have put it together. Uh, re- regardless of which one of the three it is, those are three very plausible answers for the for the question, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with any one of those three. Or name tags. Still, still and no name option tags. four thrown out by Pastor Alex Eunice. Uh, Hello, my name is yes, Moshe. Uh, Moshe. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great, though. See? See? Just a little name tag. Yeah. Jesus, hello, my name is Yahweh. Uh, they're like, oh, he really is. I am. I wondered. I wondered. So I think that's pretty cool. All right. Second, second thing that I want to talk about on this, this episode of the podcast dealing with, uh, you know, the, this situation between Caesarea Philippi and the, the pr- pronouncement that Jesus is the Christ all the way to the demoniac kid who gets thrown in the fire a bunch of times and Jesus kicking him out, uh, out the demon. That story ends with Jesus saying, it's only through prayer that these ones come out. And part of what I want to interact with you on for this a little bit is that there, there is this continual push from Jesus that discipleship is not finished. Mm-hmm. That no matter how far along the disciples think they've gone, no matter how far they've journeyed, no matter you know the, their highest of high moments, there's still another step to be taken. And I don't think that we necessarily think about discipleship the same way. And I want, you know, whether this podcast will actually accomplish this or not, I want us to begin to, to wrestle with the idea in our mind, do we think we're just done with the journey or is our journey never going to be completed in, on this side of eternity? I live in that second frame. I, I live in the world that says no matter how far I get with Jesus, there's always going to be more steps to take no matter how far I get. And that's a dangerous question to ask some people because they just want to give up. They, but I have found tremendous joy along this path, and I want to just keep going until the day I die because it's amazing and it's worth doing. But I don't think we think about discipleship that way. So I'd love to interact with you on this. This this part is totally unscripted. We haven't really talked about this at all. But I think both of us have opinions on this, and we both disciple people, and we spend a lot of time you know, kind of guiding people in this journey with Jesus. Uh, you know, I'd just love to hear some of your thoughts on that and, and kind of interact that way. Yeah, I think I think the book of Mark does such a good job of giving us insight into the disciples' interaction with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And often, if there is a character for us to relate to, it's not the people that Jesus heals. Like it's you know if we if we say oh there's a someone I relate to or someone I think like we will put ourselves in the like person who comes to Jesus with faith and we're like, I have faith, I have troubles, I cast them on Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. that's true and that's great. I think a, a reading of the whole book, I see myself acting like the disciples a lot. Yep. And so there's a lot of growth and a lot of they seem close to, you know, growth is not linear, so they seem really close. You have, G- mm-hmm. you have Peter who's like, yeah, you're the Christ. And then the next passage, he's like, hey, yeah, let's get our swords. And Jesus <laughs> says, get behind me, Satan. And Right. And, and even after, um, you know, in, in the book of John, like, I don't think they really got it until after Jesus had to die, rise again, and then explain. Like, the, in, is it yeah. Luke? Luke is the road to Emmaus. John, right. is, John is, you know, the fish thing. Yeah, they're still fishing at yeah. the end of John. Yeah, and, and he needs to get them back on track in John twenty one, right. which is crazy. Right, like he's got to he's got to kind of wrap this up. Like, hey, I've been back. I'm back now. Like, you you think this would have just like cast like thrown you into it, and instead they're throwing nets in the water. Right, and same with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. They're like, Jesus appears to them, and they're oh yeah, you know, can you believe all these things? Like, we don't really know what to do mm-hmm. with this, and Jesus has to explain to them like, listen. The whole Old Testament, all of human history to this point has been leading to what I just did. Do you see how the whole Old Testament's about me? Now you're going to take this message to the world. 
Um, yeah, so I, I think it's easy for us to feel like we are a discipled person, right? And so, right. so, you know, at Park Hills here, we have the description of a discipled person. And it can be easy to forget that we never master that. Mm-hmm. Like, we never arrive at that. We never fully, those six statements that we've created, I am never fully all six of those statements. And right. that's why we like to talk about discipleship as a process, right? There are things that we do to continue to grow in these things. Right. But yeah, there is no like finish line in the sense that like, well, I've arrived, I've now become a, a master disciple and I don't have to work on this anymore. Right. Right. I think we treat it as, as sort of as if we get a black belt and then we're done. Right. But what's funny is even black belts don't stop. And I think most of our life is meant to be lived. You could always get better at whatever it is, no matter what it is. Yeah, you know, I, I think another illustration that just came to me, it's it's kind of like we treat it like Eagle Scouts. Yeah. Right, like Eagle Scouts, you have to finish by the time you're 18. You can't, I, you know, me as a 34-year-old right now, I can't join a Boy Scout club and become an Eagle Scout. That's oh, just, but man, I would love it if you did. Yeah. <laughs> that would make my life just, so much more just, well, exciting just to be able to mock you daily. Watch me. As you're hanging out with a bunch of third graders working through Weebelows. Yeah. That sounds awesome. But but even martial arts, like I, I had a student one time in my old youth group who was testing for some belt, and sure. I went to his test, and there were people of all ages yeah. at all you know there was a guy who looked to be in his you know 40s or 50s testing for his white belt and a or his yellow belt like the belt number 2 of the whole list and then there's mm-hmm. little kids testing for their black belt and then in between there's 40 50 year old guys testing for their purple whatever color yeah. you know I don't I don't know the system all there's, of the colors there's yeah. lots of colors and lots of belts <laughs> so but i i think where that misses a little bit is that you know we get to this black belt but they're always growing but so that, that kind of fits, you know, like you can become a place spiritually where like, yeah, you do have a maturity mm-hmm. and you're discipling others, but you're still growing. But I think sometimes we think of it more like an Eagle Scout, especially with the age thing. Like, oh, you know, I, I went through all the Awana or confirmation or catechism or whatever classes, whatever tradition you've grown up in. And then I arrived at a certain point at 16, 17, 18 years old and my church graduated me out of the youth group or graduated me out of this whatever thing. And now I've arrived at a spiritual state where I don't have to grow anymore mm-hmm. because I've, I'm there mm-hmm. and now I'm just this person. And we, I see this a lot with adults that were like really engaged in their faith as teenagers. And then, then they just stop for who knows how many years. And, and we'll, we'll meet people who come back to church in their late twenties, early thirties, mm-hmm. even here that have not moved away, but they'll say, oh, yeah, I used to go to youth. I, I meet a lot of people who are like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, Mark was my youth pastor. Chris was my youth pastor. And like, oh, what have you been doing the past couple of years? Ah, you know, not a whole lot. Like, we didn't really go to church, but now we're coming back. I'm glad you're here. If you're yep. hearing this and that's you, like, yep. that, this is great. Because yep. I think what you're realizing now is that it's not like that Eagle Scout thing where, like, you achieved it and it's done. Right. And you can never go back to it. Right. Spiritual growth is constantly a process. It's more like the karate thing yeah. than it is like the Boy Scout thing. Yeah, that's a great illustration. I like that a lot. And I think for us to think about the journey that way is better. And I, I've described it to people. I don't know if, the, if this illustration is as good as yours was just a second ago, but it, we, we think about it as like an expert mountain climber. But the mm-hmm. difference is as we climb the mountain, every time we look up, there's a farther peak. That's the, how I always think yeah. about it. So there are moments where you feel like you've reached the mountaintop. 
and you're right there with Jesus, and you're going, man, this is so cool, right? I kicked this habit, or I kicked this this thing. I've, I I finally have overcome this with Jesus' help. This is great. And I think about it, you know, we started climbing, and Jesus is right there with us, and he's, you know, tied up to us, and we're, we're going along, and he's like, oh, look, you made it. And we're like, great, I, I've accomplished it. And you look up, and you're like, there's a whole other peak to climb. Yeah. I think about it that way, that it's just an endless mountain that goes up, 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 right? It, that's sort of pulling from the, the Aslan further up and fur, farther in idea at the end of the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that you can never get where you need to get fully. Right. You're better off than you were, but it's further on. Yeah. Or my friend gave the illustration one time of it's sort of like the ocean. You know, I could try to swim across the ocean. I can't do it. But I'm further in and I'm deeper than I was before. Yeah. And there's a point where you can't look at the shore anymore because you're so far out and you're going, I can't go back. This is awesome. Right. I, I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I, I like that one too. Right. And that that's not meant to drive you to despair though. Like, right. oh, there's just, a, you know, I got here and like, oh, like each, I think each mountain or each step further deeper to the o- ocean, uh, I think is a greater joy. Yeah. And I like that mountain illustration because it's not that like, I reach this mountain and it's like, oh, there's another mountain. Like right. you're, you're never going to, um, to arrive, but each one is a greater joy. So let's pursue that greater joy right. each time. And I think part of that greater joy is the next mountain is conquered, but also looking behind you and seeing who you are an example to who's following in those footsteps to the next yeah. mountain. That, and I think there's a greater joy in that. I love that. And I, I think if, in case you're getting a little lost in this, the idea is that we're never done with the journey. Start, start climbing, start letting Jesus take care of it, and then keep letting him change you. And don't give up. Don't stop. Don't, don't wait. You know, in the words of Dory from Finding Nemo, just yeah. keep swimming. Just keep moving. <laughs> but we also should be thinking about discipleship, I think, our family first, and then our friends around us, and then people we don't even know, coworkers, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You should be discipling people all the time, which just means leading them to Jesus, helping to think like Jesus thinks. Uh, and that's that's a challenge for a lot of us because we we think we know what the Bible says instead of just leading people to Jesus and letting Him do the work. So the last part of this passage I think is kind of important is Jesus says, you know, he who loses his life for my sake will will gain it. Uh, and he keeps saying this this thing over and over again, right, that uh, near the beginning of the passage, right after Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, and he says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, he who, you know, loses his life for my sake will gain it. And I think about that, that's the real YOLO, right? Mm-hmm. The, you have one life to live, use it. And I think when we think about discipleship, when we think about climbing that mountain or or getting all the belts and keep moving on or you know, even if we tried to use the Eagle Scout patch thing, just think that there's still patches that need to be put on. You know, there's something that always can be grown and, and, and developed. Are you living your life that way, that you've only got this one life, use yeah. it to the best of your ability, and serve the Lord with everything you've got? Or have you just gotten comfortable and gotten lazy and said, you know what, I'm going to stay here. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard Reed Kappel, if you know him, down mm-hmm. in Kansas City, pastor down in Kansas City, describe it this way. He he calls YOLO the the yes, but no, but there's a better yes. Like, yep. like just on the surface, like YOLO, it's like, yes, yeah, yeah, you only live once. But our culture takes that and says, that means like, whatever, woo, YOLO, I jump out of this plane, YOLO, I mm-hmm. tried the milkshake, YOLO, I, you know, mm-hmm. did something crazy. And it's like, well, n- no, there's, there's something deeper to that. Yeah. In fact, there's a better yes than just like the, 
I only live once, so therefore throw caution to the wind, but I only live once, therefore make it meaningful. And I right. think that's such a great way to like the, yes, that that's true, but no, not in the way you think because there's a better yes. Yeah, I like that. And uh, just in case, I, as we're talking about the word YOLO, I realized there's some that may not know what that means. So it just means you only live once. That's YOLO. Right. And and in pop culture, what that became is like, uh, you know, like, should I go skydiving or not? YOLO, you right. only live once. Go do that crazy thing. But then it just ironically becomes like, should I get sprinkles on my ice cream? YOLO, sprinkles. <laughs> like, you know, it just... It got ridiculous. Yeah, just dumb stuff. Yeah, like and, a, and a lot of people our age started making fun of the kids for saying that. So we started doing ridiculous things, and they had stopped saying it, which was right. really great. That's, they that's eventually moved away Th- from Thankfully, it. that one, along with Bay, the before any other, yeah. um, I'm glad that those two have waned very much. I don't know. <laughs> sorry if you call your significant other Bay, but that that one was just, uh, that for me was just a, a, a rough. That's a rough, fantastic. Rough, short little bit there. So in closing on this episode, let me read the passage that Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. That's a good word. YOLO. YOLO.